Book One, Chapter Four of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nikki Sullivan. Cecilia: Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney. Book One, Chapter Four. Eager to renew a conversation which had afforded her so much pleasure, Cecilia, neither sensible of fatigue from her change of hours nor her journey, arose with the light, and as soon as she was dressed, hastened to the breakfast apartment. She had not, however, been more impatient to enter than she soon became to quit it. For though not much surprised to find herself there before her friend, her ardour for waiting her arrival was somewhat chilled upon finding the fire but just lighted, the room cold, and the servants still employed in putting it in order. At ten o'clock she made another attempt. The room was then better prepared for her reception, but it was still empty. She was retiring when the appearance of Mr. Arnott stopped her. He expressed his surprise at her early rising, in a manner that marked the pleasure it gave him, and then, returning to the conversation of the preceding evening, he expatiated with warmth and feeling upon the happiness of his boyish days, remembered every circumstance belonging to the plays in which they had formerly been companions, and dwelt upon every incident with a minuteness of delight that showed his unwillingness to ever have done with the subject. This discourse detained her till they were joined by Mrs. Harrel, and then another, more gay and more general, succeeded to it. During their breakfast, Miss Laroles was announced as a visitor to Cecilia, to whom she immediately advanced with the intimacy of an old acquaintance, taking her hand, and assuring her that she could no longer defer the honour of waiting upon her. Cecilia, much amazed at this warmth of civility from one to whom she was almost a stranger, received her compliment rather coldly, but Miss Laroles, without consulting her looks or attending to her manner, proceeded to express the earnest desire she had long had to be known to her, to hope they should meet very often, to declare nothing could make her so happy, and to beg leave to recommend to her notice her own milliner. "'I assure you,' she continued, she has all Paris at her disposal, the sweetest caps, the most beautiful trimmings, and her ribbons are quite divine. It is the most dangerous thing you can conceive to go near her. I never trust myself in her room, but I am sure to be ruined. If you please, I'll take you to her this morning. If her acquaintance is so ruinous, said Cecilia, I think I had better avoid it. Oh, impossible! There's no such thing as living without her. To be sure, she's shockingly dear, that I must own. But then who can wonder? She makes such sweet things. Tis impossible to pay her too much for them. Mrs. Harrel, now joining in the recommendation, the party was agreed upon, and accompanied by Mr. Arnott, the ladies proceeded to the house of the milliner. Here the raptures of Miss Laroles were again excited. She viewed the finery displayed with delight inexpressible, inquired who were the intended possessors, heard their names with envy, 
and sighed with all the bitterness of mortification that she was unable to order home almost everything she looked at. Having finished their business here, they proceeded to various other dress manufacturers, in whose praise Miss Laroles was almost equally eloquent, and to appropriate whose goods she was almost equally earnest. And then, after attending this loquacious young lady to her father's house, Miss Harrel and Cecilia returned to their own. Cecilia rejoiced at the separation, and congratulated herself that the rest of the day might be spent alone with her friend. "'Why, no,' said Mrs. Harrel, "'not absolutely alone, for I expect some company at night.' "'Company again to-night?' "'Nay, don't be frightened, for it will be a very small party, "'not more than fifteen or twenty in all.' "'Is that so small a party?' said Cecilia, smiling. "'And how short a time, since you, as well as I, have reckoned it a large one.' "'Oh, you mean when I lived in the country,' returned Mrs. Harrell. "'But what in the world could I know of parties or company then?' "'Not much, indeed,' said Cecilia, "'as my present ignorance shows.' Then they parted to dress for dinner." The company of this evening were again all strangers to Cecilia, except Miss Leeson, who was seated next to her, and whose frigid looks again compelled her to observe the same silence she so resolutely practised herself. Yet not the less was her internal surprise that a lady, who seemed determined neither to give nor receive any entertainment, should repeatedly choose to show herself in company with no part of which she associated. Mr. Arnott, who contrived to occupy the seat on her other side, suffered not the silence with which her fair neighbour had infected her to spread any further. He talked, indeed, upon no new subject, and upon their old one, of their former sports and amusements, he had already exhausted all that was worth being mentioned, but he had not yet exhausted the pleasure he received from the theme. It seemed always fresh and always enchanting to him. It employed his thoughts, regaled his imagination, and enlivened his discourse. Cecilia, in vain, tried to change it for another. He quitted it only by compulsion, and returned to it with redoubled eagerness. When the company was retired, and Mr. Arnott only remained with the ladies, Cecilia, with no little surprise, inquired for Mr. Harrel, observing that she had not seen him the whole day. "'Oh!' cried his lady. "'Don't think of wondering at that, for it happens continually. He dines at home, indeed, in general, but otherwise I should see nothing of him at all.' "'Indeed? Why, how does he fill up his time?' that I am sure I cannot tell, for he never consults me about it, but I suppose in much the same way that other people do. Ah, Priscilla, cried Cecilia, with some earnestness, how little did I expect to see you so much a fine lady. A fine lady, repeated Mrs. Harrel. Why, what is it that I do? Don't I live exactly like everybody else that mixes at all with the world? You, Miss Beverley, said Mr. Arnott in a low voice, will, I hope, give to the world an example, not take one from it. Soon after they separated for the night. Next morning, 
Cecilia took care to fill up her time more advantageously than in wandering about the house in search of a companion she now expected not to find. She got together her books, arranged them to her fancy, and secured to herself for the future occupation of her leisure hours the exhaustless fund of entertainment which reading, that richest, highest, and noblest source of intellectual enjoyment, perpetually affords. While they were yet at breakfast, they were again visited by Miss Lavolles. "'I am come,' cried she, eagerly, "'to run away with you both to my Lord Belgrade's sale. All the world will be there, and we shall go in with tickets, and you have no notion how it will be crowded.' "'What is to be sold there?' said Cecilia. "'Oh, everything you can conceive. House, stables, china, laces, horses, caps, everything in the world.' "'And do you intend to buy anything?' "'Lord, no, but one likes to see the people's things.' Celia then begged they would excuse her attendance. "'Oh, by no means,' cried Miss Lavolles. "'You must go. I assure you, there'll be a monstrous crowd as you ever saw in your life. I dare say we shall be half-squeezed to death.' "'That,' said Cecilia, "'is an inducement.' which you must not expect will have much weight with a poor rustic just out of the country. It must require all the polish of a long residence in the metropolis to make it attractive. Oh, but do go, for I assure you it will be the best sale we shall have this season. I can't imagine, Mrs. Harrel, what poor Lady Belgrade will do with herself. I heard the creditors have seized everything. I really believe the creditors— are the cruelest set of people in the world. They have taken those beautiful buckles out of her shoes. Poor soul! I declare it will make my heart ache to see them put up. It's quite shocking, upon my word. I wonder who'll buy them. I assure you they were the prettiest fancied I ever saw. But come, if we don't go directly, there'll be no getting in. Cecilia again desired to be excused accompanying them, adding that she wished to spend the day at home. "'At home, my dear?' cried Mrs. Harrow. "'Why, we have been engaged to Mrs. Mears this month, "'and she begged me to prevail with you to be of that party. "'I expect she'll call or send you a ticket every moment.' "'How unlucky for me,' said Cecilia, "'that you should happen to have so many engagements just at this time. "'I hope at least there will not be any for to-morrow.' "'Oh, yes, to-morrow we will go to Mrs. Elton's.' "'Again to-morrow?' "'And how long is this to last?' "'Oh, heaven knows. I'll show you my catalogue.' She then produced a book which contained a list of the engagement for more than three weeks. "'And as these,' she said, "'are struck off, new ones are made, "'and so it is that we go on till after the birthday.' When this list had been examined and commented upon by Miss Lorolles, and viewed and wondered at by Cecilia, it was restored to its place, and the two ladies went together to the auction, permitting Cecilia, at her repeated request, to return to her own apartment. She returned, however, neither satisfied with the behaviour of her friend, nor pleased with her own situation, the sobriety of her education, as it had early instilled into her mind, the pure dictates of religion, and strict principles of honour, 
had also taught her to regard continual dissipation as an introduction to vice, and unbounded extravagance as the harbinger of injustice. Long accustomed to see Mrs. Harrel in the same retirement in which she had hitherto lived herself, when books were their first amusement, and the society of each other was their chief happiness, the change she now perceived in her mind and manners equally concerned and surprised her. She found her insensible to friendship, indifferent to her husband, and negligent of all social felicity. Dress, company, parties of pleasure, and public places seemed not merely to occupy all her time, but to gratify all her wishes. Cecilia, in whose heart glowed the warmest affections and most genuine virtue, was cruelly depressed and mortified by this disappointment. Yet she had the good sense to determine against upbraiding her, well aware that if reproach has any power over indifference, it is only that of changing it into aversion. Mrs. Harrell, in truth, was innocent of heart, though dissipated in life. Married very young, she had made an immediate transition from living in a private family in a country town to becoming mistress of one of the most elegant houses in Portman Square, and the head of a splendid fortune, and a wife to a man whose own pursuits soon showed her the little value he himself set upon domestic happiness. Immersed in the fashionable round of company and diversions, her understanding, naturally weak, was easily dazed by the brilliancy of her situation. Greedily, therefore, sucking in air impregnated with luxury and extravagance, she had soon no pleasure but to vie from some rival in elegance, and no ambition but to exceed some superior in expense. The dean of in naming Mr. Harrell for one of the guardians of his niece, had no other view than that of indulging her wishes by allowing her to reside in the house of her friend. He had little personal knowledge of him, but was satisfied with the nomination, because acquainted with his family, fortune, and connections, all of which persuaded him to believe without further inquiry that it was more peculiarly proper for his niece than any other he could make. In his choice of other two trustees, he had been more prudent. The first of these, the Honourable Mr. Delville, was a man of high birth and character. The second, Mr. Briggs, had spent his whole life in business, in which he had already amassed an immense fortune, and had still no greater pleasure than that of increasing it. From the high honour, therefore, of Mr. Delville, he expected the most scrupulous watchfulness that his niece should in nothing be injured, from the experience of Mr. Briggs in money matters, and his diligence in transacting business, he hoped for the most vigilant observance of her fortune, which under his care should be turned to the best account. And thus, as far as he was able, he had equally consulted her pleasure, her security, and her pecuniary advantage." Mrs. Harrell returned home in time to dress for the rest of the day. When Cecilia was summoned for dinner, she found, besides her host and hostess, and Mr. Arnott, a gentleman she had not before seen, but who, as soon as she entered the parlour, Mr. Harrell presented to her, saying at the same time he was one of the most intimate of his friends. 
This gentleman, Mr. Robert Floyer, was about thirty years of age. His face was neither remarkable for its beauty nor its ugliness, but sufficiently distinguished by its expression of invincible assurance. His person, too, neither striking for its grace nor its deformity, attracted notice from the insolence of its deportment. His manners, haughty and supercilious, marked the high opinion he cherished of his own importance, and his air and address, at once bold and negligent, announced his happy perfection in the character at which he aimed, that of an accomplished man of the town. The moment Cecilia appeared, she became the object of his attention, though neither with the look of admiration, due to her beauty, nor yet with that curiosity excited by her novelty, but with the scrutinizing observation of a man on the point of making a bargain, who views with fault-seeking eyes the property he means to cheapen. Cecilia, wholly unused to examination so little ceremonious, shrunk abashed from his regards. But his conversation was not less displeasing to her than his looks. His principal subjects, which were horse-racing, losses at play, and disputes at gaming-tables, could afford her but little amusement, because she could not understand them. And the episodes with which they were occasionally interspersed, consisting chiefly of comparative strictures upon celebrated beauties, hints of impending bankruptcies, and witticisms upon recent divorces, were yet more disagreeable to her, because more intelligible. Wearied, therefore, with uninteresting anecdotes, and offended with injudicious subjects of pleasantry, she waited with impatience for the moment of retiring. But Mrs. Harrell, less eager, because better entertained, was in no haste to remove, and therefore she was compelled to remain quiet till they were both obliged to arise in order to fulfill their engagement with Mrs. Mears. As they went together to the house of that lady, in Mrs. Harold's vis-a-vis, Cecilia, not doubting but their opinions concerning the baronet would accord, instantly and openly declared her disapprobation of everything he had uttered. But Mrs. Harrell, far from confirming her expectations, only said, I am sorry you didn't like him, for he is almost always with us. Do you like him, then, yourself? Extremely. He is very entertaining and clever, and knows the world. How judiciously you praise him, cried Cecilia. And how long might you deliberate before you could add another word to his panegyric? Mrs. Harrell, satisfied to commend without even attempting to vindicate him, was soon content to change the subject. And Celia, though much concerned that the husband of her friend had made so disgraceful an election of favourite, yet hoped that the lenity of Mrs. Harrell resulted from her desire to excuse his choice, not from her own approbation. End of chapter 4 Recording by Nikki Sullivan, Chicago